what will we do with our time for eternity? Will we have actual bodies or just be spirits? Now, I know from me when I was a younger person, um, I used to think about heaven kind of in the terms of like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, if I can uh, date myself a bit. So, you know, you're up kind of on a cloud or, or something sort of ethereal, non-corporeal, kind of ghost-like experience. Not like a real tangible experience, more ghost-like. And you're singing all the time. You're basically just singing continually or playing music. <laughs> and it's static. It's unchanging. The experience doesn't alter or change. And any kind of single experience going on for eternity seems intimidating. But the question is whether this is biblical or not. So I'd like to talk about some misconceptions about heaven, not just the Bugs Bunny ones, but rather the right perceptions about heaven based upon some biblical passages we're going to look at real quickly. So for our first question today, let's tackle the topic of heaven. Um, it turns out that I think a lot of people's perceptions of heaven come not just from Bugs Bunny cartoons, but as I think about it more, I think it's coming from church services. So not, not this is not a hit on church services, but I think what happens is we imagine what heaven will be like, and we think, okay, it'll be like the stuff I do at church. And for many people, a church service involves you go and you sit down, or maybe you're standing for certain parts, and you're singing, and you're being taught or preached to, and then you're singing some more. And you don't really expect the preaching and teaching to happen as much in heaven because there's this fullness of knowledge and stuff like that. So it's mostly just all that's left is standing there and singing. And so a lot of people visualize heaven like it's just standing and singing all the time. Obviously, they might be thinking, I shouldn't say obviously, but they might be thinking, oh, but it'll involve like a closeness with God, a pr the presence of God. And, and that can be the thing that helps them go, oh, well, that will be that will be the thing that makes it all still wonderful and good and, and, and not just tolerable, but actually enjoyable. Um, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. So first, let me explain the difference between two different heavens the Bible talks about, the heaven we have now and the heaven we will have for eternity, because we will not have the current heaven for eternity. That's actually really important. And then I'm going to answer the question about why eternity won't feel like it's going on for too long, <laughs> at least in my opinion. Um, so let's talk first about this now heaven versus the later heaven, the current heaven versus the final and eternal heaven. So now when you die, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you are, your body stays in the ground and you go into the presence of God. You are disembodied. So you are without a body. I don't, I don't think cartoons do this experience justice because it's not like you're a ghost outline of a body or something like that, but you are without a body. And uh, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, you can read a little bit about this. And my understanding is that in Revelation, when we read about these, these souls that are there in heaven, and they're there in the presence of God. They're under his altar, which is actually, it may seem like a strange picture of souls under the altar, you know, and under the, the throne, under that, sorry, under the throne of God. And it may seem like a bit of a strange picture, but the closeness, the proximity to God under his protection and, and his, his, um, his guard, guardianship, right? Like that's actually a pretty interesting picture that we're getting with that image. So if I die now, I'm going to be without a body for a season, and in that season, I will be in God's very presence. And uh, Paul talks about this as well, how his desire is, is to depart from this body that he might be with Christ, um, even though he will eventually not be disembodied. That's a temporary thing. This is a, a short-term, temporary situation. So we can read about what this is like as we read about, say, Psalm 16. I'll give you several verses that will kind of help fill in some of the details here. It won't be like a full teaching on the topic of heaven or something like that, but I think it will give you some good stuff to think about. So in Psalm 16, 10, 
David talks about the afterlife experience, and he mentions something about the presence of God that's very important for us. He says, for you will not abound in my, my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. This is life after death. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David did not give us a description here in Psalm 16 of all of the eventualities of heaven, like everything heaven would be like, but he gave us a description of what it was like to be in God's presence. Now, in the now heaven and in the eternal later heaven, in both of these, God's very presence will be there. So this description is true for both experiences. So when I die, and though I'm disembodied for a season, I will be in God's presence where there is what? Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. This is not the way that the world tends to think about heaven. It's even not the way Christians often think about heaven. Imagine your capacity for joy being full. That's the description there, fullness of joy. Like, here's how much joy I can have. I have this capacity, maximal joy. I will have that when I'm in God's presence because God is that glorious and that wonderful that just in his presence, you will simply be overflowing with joy and you will have pleasures forevermore, not carnal, not sinful, wonderful and holy pleasure you will be experiencing. That's in God's presence. But this, this sort of now heaven, this, this is a time of waiting. It's a time of comfort. It's a time of joy and pleasure, but it's a time of waiting. This isn't the heaven that lasts forever. So this is not your eternal experience. Later, we will get resurrected bodies. And the Bible is so huge on this. Remember Jesus, he didn't just die and rise a spirit being. He died and he rose a physical being because we will have physical bodies in our resurrection. And the Bible's huge on this. This is something a lot of Christians miss because they're often thinking of the, the now heaven and not the eternal heaven. But if you're going to ask questions about what will eternity be like, you got to ask about the eternal heaven, not the now heaven. Does that make sense? So this is totally different. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. Let me read to you a section of 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about what our future bodies will be like. You might want to read all of 1 Corinthians 15 because it ties together Jesus' death and resurrection with these things as well. But I'll read a section of it to us now. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, that's this body that dies, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So this, fu this future body that you're resurrected with, it's not like your current body. It can't, it can't die. It's imperishable. It's, it's meant for eternity. So it's, it's, it's different. Your new body will be different than your old one. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. So it'll be a glorified body, not like this, these fallen selves that we have now. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It'll be powerful. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body, which I think that when Paul uses the phrase spiritual body, he doesn't mean um, ghost-like body, like it'll be ethereal. What he, I think he means is spiritual, like um, in, the, in the sense of where Paul talks about walking in the spirit, in Galatians, he says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, that this, this body will be taking cues of godliness at, at all times. I'll be walking in holiness. So this is a natural body versus the spiritual, godly, and holy body that I'm going to be having and living. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's talking about Jesus there, became a life-giving spirit. So again, we're not, it's not incorporeal or this ghost-like thing because Jesus, while he's, this, he's a life-giving spirit, he also has a physical body. So there's both. It's, it's both physical and spiritual. But it is not that the spiritual that is, it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural 
and then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was formed, uh, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that's Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And the Bible does this thing where it, it likens our future physical body to be like Jesus's glorified body. So there's this, this connection, just like my earthly body's like Adam's body was, so my future resurrected body will be like Jesus's glorified body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. Let me read a few more verses. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that our future bodies won't have flesh or blood. He means, I think, merely flesh and blood, Adam's flesh and blood. You need a new birth and a new resurrection with a new body to inherit the kingdom. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, right? We're going to be changed. Even those who don't die, when Jesus returns, you'll go through a transformation from the old body into the new without having actually died. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and here's what happens when Jesus returns, right? The dead will be raised imperishable. That's, that's, that means they got that new body. And we, whoever's alive, right, when Jesus shows up, we shall be changed. So they'll be raised with resurrected bodies and will be transformed directly from our current bodies into the changed body, the new resurrected body. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So, Different bodies, better bodies, um, we're expecting that. Um, but this means that there's more going on than what we visualize in these sort of, you know, colloquial images of heaven about just singing all the time, that sort of thing. There's more going on there. I have a physical body. Why would I even have this body unless I was going to do physical things? There's more going on than singing in the eternal state of heaven. And I'd be okay if it was just solid singing and I would just trust that God's designed me for that and I will, and I will be um, more fulfilled doing that forever than anything else. But, I, but I'm saying that's not the biblical teaching on the topic, so we shouldn't say that. So 1 Peter chapter 3, though, shows that it's not just me. Just like my body will go through this change of this current corrupt body into an imperishable and glorious, glorified body like Jesus's, so the entire universe and even heaven, right, will go through a change as well. So this is, this is, uh, is kind of neat when you think about it. You realize what we're looking for is not just a location change for eternity where I go from earth to heaven. Rather, I'm looking for a new body and a new earth and a new heaven. And then things will be different then than they are now. So let's look briefly at that. Then I'll go to your guys' questions from the live chat that we do every Friday here. At 1 p.m. Pacific time, whatever time of year it happens to be, it's always Pacific time, at least, where I live. <laughs> so um, let's go to, there we go, to the, the Bible. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, look how he talks about not just our bodies changing, but heaven and earth changing. This matters because you're, you're asking about what heaven will be like. Well, it won't be like it is now. It's going to be different. Um, oh, I may have got the wrong verse second peter oh it's second peter that's that's why that's why there we go 
So Peter here talks about um, the, the current state of the natural world, and he says that all these things are thus to be dissolved. Therefore, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the com coming of the day of God, talking about that same kind of thing where we get resurrected, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So he's talking about like kind of, you know, the, the greater, wider universe. But this isn't something we're just excited. Let it burn! It's not like that kind of thing. Not at all. It's a transformation that's taking place. There's a there's two stages, right? Like there's the destruction and then there's the remaking. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. So there's definitely a new heavens and a new earth that are going to be created. And he gives one little description of what they'll be like. In which righteousness dwells. There will be perfect righteousness. There will be no sin. There will be no corruption. There will be no destruction. There will no, not be anything wicked going on in the new state of things. So we'll have resurrected, glorified, holy bodies, and we'll be living in a remade, righteous heaven and earth. But, but there's more. Revelation 21 tells us that this new heaven is not going to be like the old one. Let's look at how it's qualitatively very different. This will this will finally answer your question about what, what will I do in heaven. I think it will open up a world of possibilities of things we will do in heaven because heaven isn't in heaven anymore in the new creation. Let's read this. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. So he's talking about the same thing Peter was. Here John is writing. And he tells us the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is an activity, right? The, 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 the heavens and the earth are gone. And then what does he see to replace them? He sees this heavenly city, Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, coming down, like being lowered to the earth. Now, whether this is a physical event or if it's metaphorical about the meeting of heaven and earth, you guys can debate that in the live chat if you want. <laughs> um, but coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, now what, what, is this, what does this mean? I'll tell you the meaning of, of this whole thing in a second. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And if you ever wonder, how could I experience comfort in heaven when I have maybe loved ones who aren't going to be there? How could I experience comfort even though I've gone through such hard, horrible, horrific atrocities and things in my life and seen them and heard of them from others? And it's because God has the comfort to wipe away those tears and bring you genuine relief from any kind of grief and sorrow that you experience now because yes he is capable of doing that for you and yes you are designed to receive that comfort from him and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore look at these things that don't exist heaven is as much described by what won't be there than by what will be there here no mourning no crying nor pain it'll just be good all the time for the former things have passed away. So we, what we get here is that the resurrected body has like, oh, we get rid of all the former bad stuff and we have just a glorified body. Then with the new heavens and new earth, we get rid of all the bad stuff and we have a glorified better heaven and better earth. But Revelation 21 gives us this one detail that's super important, I think. And it describes the new heavens and earth as heaven meeting earth in the form of the city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven onto the earth. And God's presence is so fully there it will, it will then go on to say that you don't even need light because God himself is so present, he just creates light from his presence. 
the new heaven versus, okay, the current heaven, I'm sort of up with the Lord, wherever this location is, and I'm not embodied, but the eternal heaven that you were asking about for, for the question, for the first question for today, for Christ, Christina, is different in that it's like a society and it's actually on the new earth, which means there's all the activities of earth. But without any sin, without any wickedness, without any pain, without any sorrow, without any mourning, without crying and tears, just joy, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, but probably a massive variety of eternal activities, but with the manifest presence of God at all times, wonderful unity between the people and great holiness, not only individually, but in the entire culture of the people that are there. This is a different description of heaven than the one that we think of when we compare heaven to an eternal church service in ghost-like form. So I hope that helps. Finally, I'll say this. Um, eternity is not as intimidating as it may seem. Let me just offer a few points on this for those who think like, but eternity, but even if it's the best thing ever, why would I want it forever? Um, as if they will at some point just be like, yeah, I'm just bored with pleasures forevermore. I'm just, I'm just so sick of fullness of joy. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, guys. But there's a few things that might help tamper down your fear of eternity being too long for a good thing to happen. Um, one, eternity is not static, right? It's not a static experience. It seems dynamic. There's going to be activities. There's going to be the ebb and flow of, of daily living and that sort of thing. Uh, what will exactly it look like? I don't know, but it seems that it will be there because the Bible describes a society, a city on a new earth where God is manifestly present, where heaven and earth come together to be one thing and not two separate things. And our, we have these glorified bodies. Um, also, cyclical experiences are nice in life. One of the things that keeps things fresh is that they happen in seasons. And so we have all sorts of cyclical experiences. And heaven will involve uh, but probably quite a lot of those. And I think that helps um, keep things fresh and keep things nice and wonderful. And sometimes, even though you've done things uh, something a hundred times, it's actually more special when you come back around to do that again because it's part of that tradition, that cyclical experience in your life. Also, anyone who has true bliss wouldn't want it to end. Everybody I've known, and I've known people who have been like, say, very old, and they're like, I just want to die. I just want it to be over. If you improved their quality of life and their um, enjoyment of life, they would never have said that. They only say this because their quality of life and enjoyment in life is so low. Like, that's the only time people say that to my knowledge. I think that when we have fullness of joy, you're not going to be like, I just wish it would end. I can't handle one more wonderful day. Like, I, that's not going to happen. Also, you will never actually live, you will live forever, but you will never have lived forever. Let me say that again and I'll explain. You will live forever if you're, if you're in Christ, but you will never have lived forever because infinity or eternity is never a point you reach. It's not like you've been there for 20 billion years and then one more day goes by and you go, I have reached eternity. No, no, you never actually get there. You just have one more day. You just have continuous ongoing experiences that never end. But there's no point at which we hit eternity and go, we've arrived. I've been here for infinity days. Like maybe Chuck Norris can pull that off, but he's probably the only one. Um, also, you'll be in an environment you are entirely designed for. From your new created body to the newly created world to the very presence of God and the connection between us each other and between God and you personally, that is going to be better than any earthly experiences you've ever had. Because this is without corruption, without any of the wickedness, without any of the bad in you or in the world around you. The rightness of it all will be so constant that, that heaven is 
<clears throat> the joys of heaven so far outweigh any of the current suffering that we go through that Paul the Apostle, who went through incredible suffering, he said that the sufferings of the current time, which he, he, knows, he knows are very intense, he said they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. Think of that, because he had a high estimation of what heaven was going to be like. And finally, I'll say, <clears throat> you might be overly paranoid about this. Um, God made you for heaven. Don't be fretting about, but, but what if, but, but what if, but what if, like, eh, you know, you're, you don't, don't be the, the spiritual chihuahua, right? <laughs> the chihuahua is like the dog that's like <laughs> spazzing out all the time. It's like they're overly paranoid about life, chihuahuas. They really are. And frequently they cause problems because they're overly paranoid about things. Um, sorry, no offense to you if you're a chihuahua owner. I think you're a very, <clears throat> you're very entitled to go and own whatever chihuahuas you want. But be honest about your paranoid little chihuahua. Most likely they're a paranoid little dog. That's just how they are. <laughs> and it's good for you for loving them anyway.